became work. It really became work. So once it becomes like that for me, you know, I, I know that I'm not going to be able to give this site my best because I'm not passionate about it anymore. As soon as that happens, it's time to sell for sure. If you're not passionate about what you do, I would say it's, it's not impossible, but it's very hard to be successful at it. Very, very hard. You're listening to Deal Closers, brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com, a show about how to build your e-commerce business to be profitable, scalable, and one day, even sellable. I'm Jason Gillikin, and on the show today, Website Closers Doug Grinstaff, Isaac Porter, and I talked to a founder who has built and sold four very different companies, a t-shirt business before e-commerce, a pest control service, a gas station, and most recently, an informational website with an AdSense revenue model. Elliot Marks was born in England to a family of entrepreneurs. His uncle had a packing plant which produced the little salt and pepper packets for British Airways. His dad had a wholesale business selling luggage and purses. His grandfather owned 13 shops that sold women's handbags and shoes. So he saw the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, and he knew it was for him. You can have more freedom. Plus, the amount of uh, revenue and money that you can earn can almost be unlimited. As, as successful as you are, you know, that, that is only limited by your success. So that appealed to me, you know, working in a, in a job is fine, but it's limited how much you can, you can make. So, so that's what I, that's what appealed to me. Elliot's own entrepreneurship journey starts when he was just 21 years old and he decided to take a vacation across the pond. I came over to America. I, I messed around a little bit, met this girl, wasn't really doing much, but I was really here on, on ho- holiday. I could only stay for a few months. And it got to the end where I had $50 and a, a plane ticket home back to England. And um, I really wanted to stay. So that's, um, I actually built that t shirt business from that $50 um, through a few. Uh, the, the guy, I found someone that could print t shirts for me. And um, I gave him my my driver's license and said, if you print them for me, I'll come back at the end of the day and I'll pay you double what you would charge me, but I need to take them and sell them in order to pay you. And he did it. And um, and that's how I started. And I built it up from there. Whoa. What'd you do with the plane ticket? <laughs> that expired, unfortunately. I, and, and as it so happens, I still have it. Oh, no kidding. Back then in the old days, we actually got paper tickets. So. Yeah, man. I still have what it. a great story. That is awesome. Wow. Yeah. Started a business with $50. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. $50. Oh my gosh. What kind of t-shirts were you selling? I was doing t-shirts with all different like music groups and things like that. I, and eventually I got to sell to some quite large companies, Hot Topic and things like that. So it was, um, it really took off in a, in a way that um, I never would have, would have expected at all. But eventually I sold out that business after I built it up. That seems to be, that seems to be my path now is, is buying businesses, building them up and then selling them. Wow. Okay. So you had $50 and you just borrowed t-shirts from. Well, uh, no, well the fifth for the $50 I bought, I can't remember one or two dozen t-shirts, blank t-shirts, but I couldn't, that's all I could afford. I couldn't afford to get them printed. Yeah. So I just went around different printers and found one that would, and it worked out for him because uh, I kept going back to him and the business got bigger and bigger till, till eventually he told me that he couldn't do my shirts for me anymore because there were too many. He, he only had a small little little shop. So then I had to move on, which was kind of sad. I felt bad, but uh, 
he didn't have the entrepreneurial spirit, I guess, because if it was me, I would have, uh, I would have just bought more machines and kept going. I never would have uh, told someone I can't do it's too many, you know, but uh, everyone's different. That was a long time ago now. I got to ask, what did your, what did your girlfriend think of, of this plan? Uh, well, you know, we were both very young at the yeah. time, so I don't really think, I mean, I was, I was 21. She was uh, 18. I don't think she really knew anything about, about business or anything like that. Just, Hey, sell some t-shirts. Why not? But, but the business side of it, I was always quite good at the business side. I think I was always good at the business side. This is awesome. So you mentioned you sold it. How did you build it up enough so that it was sellable? Really just a lot of hard work and building up uh, the customer base so you can ha- have some good, uh, a good P&L at the end of the year. And then there's always going to be someone that wants to jump in and, uh, and take it over. But it was really just a matter of building up. Um, I, I mostly sold to record stores and things like that. So I started selling all over the country and, and ended up with oof, maybe over seven, 800 stores that I would sell to Wow, around the country. And this is pre-internet? Pre-internet, yeah. Uh, pretty, it started pre-internet. And um, I never actually did anything on the internet with that business. Not one single thing. Amazing. Yeah. So you built up this t-shirt business, ended up selling that. What was after the sale? After that, I bought a pest control company with my brother-in-law. Well, he's my ex-brother-in-law now, but but with my uh, brother-in-law at the time. And because um, he was, that's what he did. He, he'd been in pest control his whole life. And, but he didn't know how to run a business. But I knew how to run a business, but I didn't know anything about pest control. And I wasn't really that interested in pest control. But he found this one business, this pest control business that was for sale. He didn't really have all the money. He needed someone to come in, but I and I had the business expertise. So it kind of worked out well. So we bought that company. That was in 2005. And uh, it only had like uh, three employees and uh, just a small company. But we uh, again, we built that one up over um, about seven years. Ended up with uh, 50, 60 employees and we were doing, ended up doing work for other pest control companies. So we, when we built that up and sold that in 2011. Jeez. So three employees to 50, 60 employees yeah. over seven years. That is fast. Yeah. Well, you know, it was, um, it's a funny story with that is, uh, I was driving on the freeway once and I saw, uh, we're in LA, so there's billboards all over the freeways. And, um, I just thought what a great idea to maybe advertise, on a, on a billboard, which isn't, I mean, that's not like a unique idea in itself, but for pest control, it hadn't really been, been done at the time. So um, we just started our own department where we, you know, fumigation, where we put the tents over the, over the houses, which is a whole other department. Uh, we were normally subcontracting that out and we started doing it ourselves. So I started advertising on the billboards and it was the billboards that it just absolutely took off. Our phone lines were nonstop all day we ended up getting booked out for months. So that's how we started growing and getting more employees, more trucks, more everything. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's just that one idea that, that it's not even, you know, was using billboards a unique idea? Not really. A million people advertise on billboards, but just using it for this specific industry hadn't really been done at the time. And um, it just took off. So that, that really built that business up. So once, once I get something that can build up quite fast like that, then I know it's time to, to sell. 
and then move on. You know, I, I think with a lot of businesses is you've got to test things out and it's okay to run small tests on things because they can, they can mean a, a home run for you and just a, a, a life change or a business change completely. And it, it seems like that's what you did with the billboard. You didn't know if it would work out or not, but maybe it's a thousand dollars that you're investing in this. And what's the worst that could happen? You're going to lose that thousand dollars. I wish it was a thousand dollars. Well, however much it is, right? <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, they're expensive, but, but no, no, it worked out. Yeah. You just don't, you just don't know. And you have to try the investment was, isn't huge to, to try it out. Yeah. You have to try. Yeah. So I just got, you know, so it's, it's a bit of ingenuity, a bit of luck. That's really what it is. So, yeah. So I sold that one in, um, I sold the pest control company in, in 2011. And then I went and bought a gas station. Naturally. <laughs> Naturally. I know this is, this is my life. This is what I do. I, I, I really like to delve into new things and um, figure out that, that industry. But I usually do it while I'm, uh, you know, hitting the ground running. So it's not always the uh, the best thing. You can, the first six months can always be a bit shaky when you know because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, so I bought the ga- uh, petrol station and again built that up. But with the gas station, it's really um, it's not about selling gas. You don't make any money on the on the gas. A little bit. It's all about what's in, what's inside. So it, it was about building that up. And then in the end, um, when I when I sold it, it was the the land that I made the most money on, not even the business itself. So that was it. That was quite interesting. And I nearly didn't buy the land with the business. I normally I, I nearly just bought the business because I had the option. I decided to get the land as well, which looking back was the best best decision in that respect. How many years did you have that? I had that from uh, two thousand eleven. About six years. Okay. What was the biggest lesson that that you learned in running a gas station? Well, the biggest lesson I learned is that all gas is the same. I had what they call an unbranded gas station. So it could be, you know, it could be anything. Elliot's gas. It was called Alliance, actually. But it was, you could have anything, Elliot's gas. And then, of course, you have branded stations, Shell, Chevron. But everyone, the amount of people that would come into, come into the station and say, uh, uh, oh, you, you know, I put gas from your station in my car and it started not running right, and, you know. But what they don't realize is that the gas that we get every station is all it's all the same. I used to get my gas from like 76 or Chevron. It's all the same. So that was this was something that happened probably a couple of times a day. People would come in and say something about gas at these unbranded stations. So I always found that quite common. I had one guy, one guy nearly tried to sue me. <laughs> saying that my gas hurt his engine in his car <laughs> okay yeah and it's the same stuff i know <laughs> i know but this that that's business for you but no running running a um a gas station is interesting because really ultimately you're you're, you're a money handler for the oil companies is really all you are so you get a delivery of gas that will cost you know a, a whole truckload say thirty five thousand dollars and i i'll sell that in a day and a half. So you, you sell 30, you buy $30,000 in gas, you sell it for $31,000, but you're handling all that money and you know, and, and you got to give the, the 30,000 to pay for it. You're left with maybe a thousand dollars, which just about covers a few, a few costs and things like that. But yeah, you're essentially money handling for the, uh, 
for the oil companies. But I, my main reason for actually selling that that business was um, quite a few of my best customers changed to electric cars. And it just started getting me thinking, the gas station is a dying business. I mean, it's still here, I agree, but it, it's um, I don't really think it's a growing business. So uh, it just struck me as something that did I really want to start investing and maybe buy more gas stations? I don't think so because it's maybe a dying business. So I decided that was one of the reasons I decided to get out of that. Well, you mentioned that the differentiator is in what's inside the gas station and not the gas. How did you differentiate yourself and why, why would people come to your gas station versus the one across the street? <laughs> I'm not sure to be, <laughs> to be honest. No, no. My gas station was a little unique because it was on a, it wasn't on a main street. It was on a sort of a secondary street in a sort of a local area. So I was lucky with, we had a lot of um, residences very close by. So we had a lot of regulars coming in, a lot of regulars coming in, but the things that started increasing it, it wasn't so much that I ended up, I re- what I realized was I couldn't attract more people because everyone in that area knew the station and because it, it wasn't a main street. There wasn't that many, that much traffic coming by people that didn't know about the station. So it's just a matter of adding more things for them to buy. So when they do come in, instead of them spending $5, let's see if we can get them to spend $10. Um, so I did things like adding hot pizza and, and hot food and things like that. Um, and um, really sprucing up the inside, lots of new shelving and um, really displaying, making things just look great. And, um, you know, always having specials and sales and giving a few freebies away and uh, really focusing on being really because when you have locals coming all the time you have to focus on being really really nice and friendly to them not that not that i wouldn't anyway but um even with with employees you got to really got to make sure that was a focus so i really wanted it to be that people knew when they come into the station it would be a, a happy atmosphere and they'd be welcome and probably know their name so it was a very kind of a bit of a the local bar gas station, you know, without the alcohol. People, we would have people come in and uh, hang around for some reason. When you own a place like that for five or six years, you see a lot of things come and go. You know, the smokers, the ones that buy three packs a day, suddenly stop. You know, they don't. They stop coming because uh, they probably, I mean, die probably smoking so much. You know, but yeah, you see, you see a lot of things. Um, you're running a gas station it's quite interesting i bet we did get robbed a couple of times i was going to ask them about safety point. yeah gosh yeah yeah that was another concern of mine it was um just getting a little little unsafe for my liking yeah so what was after the uh the gas station then then after the gas station that's when i i went in into the uh online territory okay got it and um yeah yeah so that's when i got um i actually purchased ssofficelocation.com. So real quick before that, um, out of the pest control business, gas station business, t-shirt business, what do you look back on most fondly? What was your favorite? T-shirt business, for sure. Okay. But I think that's because it was my first. And when when you're young, you've got nothing to lose, and you're really hungry, you don't sort of really appreciate it at the time, but as you get older and you look back, you realize how good those those years were it gets a lot more stressful when you have more to lose and you start investing more money and things like that yeah we, we've interviewed a lot of teenagers younger people in their 20s 
And uh, they are able to take risks. And that's one of the reasons that they've been so successful. They're willing to take those, those risks. So you ended up buying ssofficelocation.com. How did you find that? Why did you decide, I want to buy this particular website? First of all, I decided to, to when I sold the, the gas station, I decided to go into the online field because, to be honest, the number one reason was I was just sick of employees. I didn't want employees anymore. They were just a, const, a constant hassle for me. So I just thought, you know, maybe going online, and I decided to, yeah, would, would be good, wouldn't need employees. So I started doing my research and um, decided on the online advertising model. So really, I was looking for a website that had um, that made its revenue from online, from advertising. That's when I stumbled on ssofficelocation.com. I didn't have any particular knowledge or interest in um, Social Security, but um, it looked like a good uh, a good website. And I figured Social Security is something that people will be still needing information about and talking about in five years and 10 years and however long, well, maybe not forever, the way things are going, they say it's going to run out. But but yeah, so people will still be um, talking about it. So it just felt really like a good fit. But out of the millions of websites that are out there, like how did you how did you find this one? Was it something where it was on a brokerage site that they wanted to be sold? Did you just stumble upon it and say, hey, are you available? Yeah, it was It was definitely on a, uh, on a brokerage site. Got it. I just can't quite remember. It was on, Ellie, if I'm not mistaken, it was on Lenny's. That was with Lenny, yeah. Website, right. So Lenny had a firm, my business partner. He had a firm before joining Website Closers. Website Closers acquired him. So I think that's where you found it. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I met Lenny, yeah. So through um, whatever his, Lenny's previous company was, I must have stumbled on it. Just online, just doing searches, you know, different web pages, different sites that will have um, listings. But I did send out a lot of inquiries. It was this one that really caught my eye. That's great. And do you remember what caught your eye? Was it the SEO best practices that it had? Or was it you saw a lot of ways to improve this particular website? What caught your eye? And you're like, I could, I could do that. Well, obviously, the, you know, the financials were good. But, but I think the, the main thing, which I have already said, was, was the fact that it's, it, it felt very evergreen to me. It really felt like something that um, it, it, it was a well-established site and it was talking about something that people are always going to be interested in, always need that information. And really, I think it's those two, two factors. And it, had a lot, it also had quite a lot of content on it. There'd been a lot of work on the site because sometimes some websites – they can be generating revenue and everything's good, but when you when it comes down to it, maybe all its revenue is being or ninety nine percent of its revenue is being generated by one or two articles or, or something like that. Whereas, which scared me because you're really essentially buying two articles for your money. Whereas with this site, it was nothing like that. There was no one page that was dominant. It was very spread out, and um, so if you if you lose rank on one page, it's probably not going to affect your overall traffic because it's maybe just a few a few views yeah so i think that's definitely something that appealed to me although i i didn't know as much about all the uh, online world as i do at that time as i do now obviously yeah and to go back to need and uh, fulfilling something that people are looking for that's not necessarily a sexy type of business 
finding social security offices is huge. And like, I don't know a whole lot about social security at all. Uh, growing up, I just kind of assumed it would be gone by the time I got to social security age and it just wouldn't, I, so I just wasn't paying attention to it. And so now I can go to this particular website and learn more about social security, what it actually means when I turn 65 or whatever it is, how am I affected by that? Where to go for a social security office location? I feel like you nailed it in finding a website that's just super helpful for so many people. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely um, helpful. I can, you know, what I can see from the, the traffic and traffic patterns and people's behavior, you know, we would post new articles sometimes and, and um, people would be spending a lot of time on these articles and reading them. And, and so I really feel like over the years we've helped, we've helped some people. With a site like SS Office Location where you're dealing with Social Security, it's very, very important. The most important thing is that the information is accurate, 100% accurate. It not only is that just the morally correct thing to do, because if you give someone incorrect information, it can really affect their life when it is this type of thing. Google will eventually figure out if your site is not is giving inaccurate information, very outdated information. So um, that's probably the most important thing for this, for that particular website is that Everything is updated, especially at the end of the year when we get to New Year's and they have new numbers and new figures and updated and increases and decreases. So, yeah, keeping it up to date was the most important thing. That's great. So you didn't buy the business to sell it for the same price. What did you do to try to build on SS Office Location? What were some of the changes that you set out to, to make right away? Well, initially, for the first couple of months, I didn't do too much. I was really observing and trying to figure out, um, you know, learn and, and, and figure out exactly how the, everything works. I would say the, f- the first thing I did after a, maybe a couple of months, which was the single single best thing I ever did to increase revenue, it almost doubled, in fact, it did, it doubled the revenue, was because originally the, the site had just, just had AdSense on there. So revenue was just coming from AdSense. And so what I did was I added Ezoic, onto there. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Ezoic. No, explain. Yeah. So I added this company called Ezoic on there and Ezoic, they're a Google certified partner and they're, um, well, there's lots of different aspects to Ezoic, but they essentially, um, they're an AI company that will test thousands of times uh, different ad placements, ad sizes on, on different pages for different people based on, based on that person's age, gender and where they live what screen they're on, lots of different things. And it also allows you, when you join Ezoic, it also allows you to become part of Google's ad exchange, which is the premium Google ads, which are normally reserved for the really big sites, CNN and, and that kind of thing. So once I joined Ezoic and it starts doing it, it, it learns, it starts, it takes a couple of weeks to learn. It starts learning your, your, your viewers. Now it didn't help with traffic, but the revenue just went almost doubled for me. Wow. Yeah. So that was, that was massive. And so from there, so then obviously I, I stuck with the Zoic and um, then it was just a matter of building, keeping the site updated and adding new content and keeping, keeping the traffic going. So that's another one of those probably relatively inexpensive experiments that you ran. And all of a sudden it was huge for your business. Huge. And I've recommended Ezoic to uh, quite a few people over the years. 
not everyone has been successful. So it's not a, it's not a guarantee or a slam dunk. It just really worked for me. Or I, I really should say it really worked for that particular website for ssofficelocation.com. But almost everyone who I turn to as OE says it, it, it definitely increases. And I, I have no, I'm not making any money <laughs> from his OE, but, but I do, I do like to talk their praises because they, um, I found them very, very good and, uh, obviously for increasing revenue, but just customer service, everything was was very good. That's fantastic. And so you mentioned that it didn't increase the the traffic. Is that something that you worked on trying to increase traffic to the website? Yeah. You know, I mean, you're always trying to, you're always trying to work on increasing traffic to the website. Um, but there's not really anything specific I did to say, okay, I'm going to do this to increase traffic because it would be adding new content. Well, hopefully that increases traffic, but I would do that anyway. So you, it's just a matter of um, keeping the site up, updated, adding new content. But of course I had this site from 2017 and it was building up, building up. And then of course, when, when the pandemic hit, that's when um, I didn't know all the social security offices were closing. So for me, it was like, whoa, what's you know, what, what's happening? Something that I never in my wildest dreams thought would ever be happening. But as it so happens, you know, like um, a lot of people say we're staying inside, everyone's going on the internet. So traffic really increased during that time and, and revenue increased exponentially because not only was I getting more traffic, but the ad rates were incredibly high during the pandemic because everyone was inside. So a lot of other advertising billboards, for example, probably weren't doing so well because there's not as many people traveling and out and about. So all that money went into online, which was absolutely fantastic. But, um, you know, all good things must come to an end. So when the pandemic's over, people start venturing back out. That's when it got, it, it, it was very hard to really do anything to make any positive changes because you didn't quite know what the problem was or if there was even a problem because things, it was like Google was trying to figure out what people's behavior after the pandemic. It didn't quite know where to rank things, what to do, what to show them, what not to show them. And I still think it, it, it never really quite sorted itself out. It just kind of moved on to where it is now, which I don't know about. I don't think Google is um, showing the best results these days. <laughs> so Elliot, um- when did, and you've been through this, uh, this will be your fourth time, I believe, of building and selling a company. When did you start to think, okay, now's probably the time to, to start to look for, for somebody to, to, to buy this? Well, I had started about um, a year ago. I, I also started selling on um, Amazon. So that took off. And, and now what I was finding was a very, I, I lost interest in in the social security side. So it became, although I still worked on it, it became work. It really became work. So once it becomes like that for me, you know, I, I know that I'm not going to be able to give this site my best because I'm not passionate about it anymore. And as soon as that happens, it's time to sell for sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you're not passionate about what you do, I would say it's, it's not impossible, but it's very hard to be successful at that. Very, very hard. That's a great pull quote right there. Yeah. Doug, when did you learn from, from Elliot that, uh, that he was looking to, to potentially exit? Yeah, and, and I've got all the stats pulled up. I want to run through them with you guys because there's some, as the rest of Elliot's story, there's a lot of unique things that, that I think went on. But I want to say it was 
either end of September or early October that we got in touch with Elliot again and he said he wanted to look at selling. So we looked at the P&Ls and gave him a valuation. I think he's the type to make a pretty fast decision on whether he wants to go with something. And so we moved forward rather quickly from there. I'm not a procrastinator, that's for sure. <laughs> I like that about you. Yeah. So what was the process like? You know, you've, you've already got this information. Uh, you put a, a kit together. Is that right, Doug? And then you start to reach out to potential buyers. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and I'll give you a timeline too, just because I think this is, this is pretty interesting. So we went live officially on October 18th. And by going live, I mean, we're live on the website, Closer's website. All right. So that's when it first goes up on the website. Probably about two weeks later, it goes out on the email blast. And so that's when we went live. From that time to the email blast, um, we had seven total buyer-seller calls. And we had multiple offers. I think there was at least three from my notes. And then we had an LOI signed on November 20th. What? Yeah. And then what gets even more interesting, we closed APA signed on January 5th. And so from start to finish, this was a 79-day process from the time we launched the business live on the website to the actual agreement, the APA being signed, which is incredibly fast. And I'll, I'm going to go to Isaac real quick and say, Isaac, when, when a seller comes to you and they say, hey, how quickly can you sell my business? What do you normally tell them? Now there's nuances, there's different businesses, but roughly- Yeah, well, our, our average time for transactions is three to six months is usually the guidance I give. So- yes. Um, you know, having That's under saying. 80 days start to finish is, is pretty, pretty fast. Yeah. That's faster than I would say most LOIs. So you get an LOI and by the time you close, a lot of times, you know, depending on what type of business that can take 90 yeah, days. A lot, of, a lot of LOIs that require diligence will have, yeah, pretty much, you know, a 90 day timeline on them. Yeah. 60 to 90 days is not atypical for LOIs. You know me, Doug. I don't like to hang around. But I know, Doug. How many? Do you know how many? Uh, how many NDAs we had signed, or how many buyers inquired about the transaction? Man, there were because to me it seemed like when I when I first looked at the deal, I was like, "Wow, this is a really niche little type of site." Uh, you know, it's very nichey. Now it's nichey in a in a very important space, but it just it was it's very unique. So I was I was just curious if that going to mean really good feedback, or is that going to mean very limited, you know, but specific buyer interest. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to go back now. I mean, I think there was at least a, a hundred inquiries, which is isn't terribly surprising. And I'll I'll tell you a couple of reasons why. And one of them is it's a very simple business model to run. So there's just not a lot to it now. There's uh, which I think buyers like because a lot of times when people are looking to buy a business, there's a lot of trepidation when they feel like are there certain things that the owner knows that I don't know that's going to take me a long time to know and you know, do I not have the level of acumen that they have? Well, I think when you pull back the curtain on this business, it was very easy to run and I think easy to understand. Now, there's not a ton of moving parts to Elliot's point. There's not a ton of employees either. And so people liked that aspect. Now, the other thing they really liked about it was the financials and more specifically the profit margin. I mean, this was absolutely ridiculous profit margin, 90 plus percent. And when you look at Elliot's financials, you know, you've got your revenue line, You've probably got two lines below that, and that's it. You've got, you know, you've got your writer and your advertiser, and that's it. And so people 
have that comfort knowing, hey, there's not a ton of fixed cost going out every month that I'm going to be worried about covering my nut that month. You can kind of rest assured that, hey, you know, I've got this revenue coming in. I've got a strong profit margin, so I should be able to make my money back you know, and sleep at yeah, night. Yeah, I was going to ask you why it was so hot, uh, but now you just answered that. There's just two of the reasons. Yeah. There's probably oh more. <laughs> and so, Elliot, when you're getting all this activity in, in there, were you surprised? And then how did you come to a decision like, okay, yes, this is the, the company for me. This is, this is who I want to sell to. To be honest, I don't think I really was aware of too much of what was happening behind the scenes, especially the the inquiries, things like that. I probably would. I, so is a hundred a lot? Sounds, sounds pretty good to me to get a hundred. So. It is given the short period of time, right? Cause you were only on the market for 30 days. Most people, businesses are much longer than that. So it is for that short period. Absolutely. Yeah. But you know, it just takes, it just takes the right person. So when we got the offer f- um, and the person was, was interested, why not? Once you're selling a business, you decided you're going to sell it. It just comes down to finding um, someone that's going to give you as close to your asking price as possible with the best, most favorable terms. Yeah. And that's what we found. Yeah. And the the terms that um, some of the previous episodes, the, the founders have talked about is um, one of the big ones is uh, how long the the founder has to stay on or how long the owner has to stay on. Uh, is that something that was a issue for you? Some wanted you to stay on for a while. Some didn't. Like, how did that work out? No, that that wasn't an issue because, as we've said, it's such a simple model, this website. I don't think it, it, that was ever going to be a factor. And uh, so I'll always – I'll say I'm available f- – phone, email for 90 days, but essentially I'm available. So if, if the guy who bought it wants to call me a year from now, I'll be happy to answer any question if I can help, but there's just not many moving parts in this. So I, I just feel that staying on wouldn't even, I'm not even sure what I would, what I would do to be honest. <laughs> gotcha. And, and sometimes there's all cash. Sometimes there's cash plus earnout. I don't know how much you can talk about it, but was it a all cash situation? Was it cash plus earnout? How did that work? No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't all cash. It was uh, cash with an earnout and a bit of um, seller financing as well. Got it. Which um, most sellers are not that big on seller financing, but it's it's really what you have to do. Most people would want to go that way. Isaac, is that a typical sticking point? You know, it's something we talk about with with every with every seller. Um, I think Elliot, to your point, a lot of deals do include some component of of seller financing and, and you've sold multiple businesses and you've bought multiple businesses. So you've, you've been on both sides of that. I'm assuming. Yeah. I think what's important to understand from a seller obviously is motivated to get the cash for their business. And, and that's, that's understandable. What you have to think about from the buyer's perspective is that there's, there's risk in acquiring a company. And so, you know, a seller note is guaranteed financing, uh, but it does help the buyer spread out the payments the earnout is a risk mitigation for the buyer, and so that helps that helps the the seller participate in some of the risks that the buyer is taking on, and that's that's generally how deals get done. You know, those are those are three components of of the capital stack that we see in a lot of deals. You know, in some combination, and and you know, at website closers, we are often and almost always looking for the majority of of the deal in cash at closing. You know, we don't really do any deals that don't have cash at closing. There's a lot of there's a lot of people out there 
talking about buying companies with no money down. And those aren't the type of deals that we run. But there is often some you know, component of the deal that's going to spread the payments out for the buyer, like, like a seller, like a seller note, uh, and something that, that will mitigate their risk, uh, in terms of an earnout that it basically assures this, or, or a stability payment where the price is based on the business, at least staying stable over, you know, over a one or two year period. You know, I, I'm not very, never have been big on, uh, seller financing as the seller, but most sellers aren't, but uh, you know, because when I sold the pest control company, I did, we did some seller financing. That was the biggest selling seller financing I've ever done. And I got screwed on that one. Mm. So, you know, just had a bad experience with it. I have done others that have worked out, but that one left a bad taste in my mouth. Do you mind if I ask what, what, what happened at the seller financing? Did they have a, was there a personal guarantee involved? Was there a, was there an, no, no, no. They, you know, the pest control company, we sold it. And then um, about a few months later, the guy started, accusing us of all sorts of nonsense and things, but it was basically making stuff up as an excuse not to pay. Uh, eventually went to media. We went to mediation costs me a lot of money, 50, $60,000 just for the mediation. And that would, that lasted about a week. And, but in the end he lost, um, we won it all. We won on every point, but he still never paid. You know, winning a judgment is one thing getting paid is a whole other story. Ugh. So I'm just plugging my uh, computer back in. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, so getting paid is a whole other story, which uh, is unfortunate. Yeah, and that is, that is you know, that, that I've certainly heard those stories. I don't know the specific, we weren't involved in that deal. I don't know the specific terms of the, the, the note, but, but obviously if you're going to extend seller financing, then understanding the buyer. It's very important, you know, the, the buyer-seller relationship can be very important in these transactions. And the more you're leaning on seller financing, the the, the higher the comfort level you, you want to have with that buyer and ultimately, you know, hopefully have some type of a personal guarantee or or a lot of times what we'll negotiate is some type of a clawback facility where if the seller defaults, if the buyer defaults on the seller note, the seller can claw back the assets. There are some things you can do to improve and, and strengthen your position as a seller if you're going to accept those terms. Yeah. Hey, well, unfortunately with this guy, he did, he kind of disappeared and he was an older guy. He was like in his seventies. And I guess he just, once he bought this business, he decided at the time he was just going to, he spent all his money, just really messed things up. So we had personal guarantees, but, but even though you got the judgment finding him and then what the little bit of research we managed to, to do, we realized that he hasn't, doesn't even have anything left anyway. So what's the yeah. point? Spending all this money going after someone who doesn't have anything. So that that was a really big pill for me to swallow. Mm. It's only been in the last few years I can even talk about it. <laughs> Before then, it was it was just too hard. Yeah, yeah, it was a tough one. But Doug managed to persuade me to to agree to some seller financing for this transaction. So fingers crossed, I'll get paid. We made a it very small, small portion. As we do with most transactions. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for that, Elliot. <laughs> we got, <laughs> got it, it done. Yeah. We should have it. it sounds like this one will be a much better outcome for you, Elliot, than uh, than the pest control. Well, well, should be. Yeah. Should be, yeah. Well, Elliot, this has been awesome. Um, thank you so much for, for sharing your your story. What's next? I, I, I feel like you're you, you're already on Amazon. You've got another business. What's the, what's that business? Um, yeah, I'm already on Amazon. I um, do a lot of home goods. But my, my number one product right now is a, a stone bath mat, believe it or not. Okay. And um, 
one of the reasons of selling the company, uh, SS office location was so now I can invest more. One thing with Amazon and retail is it's, you gotta need a lot of money. If you, if you go, if you're growing, you need money. So, um, that's the goal is to grow, get more products and hopefully, um, be successful with that and come see Doug when I'm ready to sell that one. That's exactly it. And let, let's do it in yeah. What's this eight? What, what's this eighty days, days, Doug? It's way too long. Yeah. Mate. <laughs> I know. My my personal record, Doug, is forty eight days. So, wow, it could, be, it could be done. Okay, yeah, we're coming for that. All right, right. forty eight days, forty seven. <laughs> here we come. <laughs> yeah. Start preparing. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. We I, uh, I really enjoyed it, Elliot. Thank you so much for for coming on the Deal Closers podcast. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you, Elliot. All right, that was Elliot Marks, serial entrepreneur. I can't wait to follow up sometime soon with the sale of his next business. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Deal Closers podcast brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com. If you like the show, be sure to rate us, write a review, press the follow button, or share with your network. And of course, if you're looking for help selling your e-commerce business, be sure to visit WebsiteClosers.com. This episode was edited and produced by Earfluence. I'm Jason Gillikin, and we'll see you again soon on the Deal Closers podcast.